1: it's integral to the fact that they trusted to have a single, uh, single executive at all, was that they wouldn't do it unless there was a way of removal.
0: That's author and historian Ray Raphael talking about his new article on the subject of what's on everyone's mind today, impeachment. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is sponsored by the Museum of the American Revolution, exploring the ideas, events, and legacies of America's revolutionary beginnings. Plan your visit today. For more information, visit www.amrevmuseum.org. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. On today's episode, we have a very special guest. He's the author of 17 books at least last time I I counted, Ray Raphael. And he's an expert in the Constitution, talking about a new article he's just published in the Journal of the American Revolution on impeachment. Now, obviously, given the current crisis in which we're living through, impeachment is on everybody's mind. But very few Americans, whether they be scholars or average Americans on the street, have a very good idea or a very good sense of what impeachment really is, what it was intended to be, and how the founders saw it shaping the American Republic moving forward. Now, I'm not going to get into any specifics about my opinions. Of course, the Journal of the American Revolution uh, doesn't endorse one party or another. Uh, But what you're going to hear from Ray Raphael today is a very clear cut, a very uh, nuanced and informed view of impeachment from an 18th century perspective. As far as shows we've done on this series so far, this one is certainly the most timely, and who knows, maybe the most important. So with that in mind, sit back, relax, keep an open mind, and enjoy our interview with Ray Raphael. Ray Raphael, thank you for joining us.
1: Hey, I'm uh, pleased to be able to talk with you today.
0: Tell us about your background.
1: Well, my background is varied, but the what's relevant uh, to this discussion today is that I've been a historian of the American Revolution for about thirty years, and um, my publications have started at uh, twenty years ago. and uh, and I've been into it, you know, as they say, once you once you enter the late eighteenth century, you never fully return. And so I've been inhabiting that world for quite some time. And my first my first book was The People's uh, People's History of the American Revolution, The History of Common People in the Revolution. And then I just went from there to several other books. And I kind of focused on how people tell the stories and mistell stories in my founding myths book and, and, and other books on the revolution. And then at some point, I started moving moving forward in time, and I got very interested in the in the Constitution, which was basically sort of the culmination of that whole process. And uh, and it really was a revolution, as as uh, as as uh, one scholar put it, and I really agree with this. The Constitution was a revolution in favor of government. Uh, The 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 Articles of Confederation wasn't really government. It was confederacy. And uh, and they said, we, if we're going to have a nation, we actually needed government. So it actually was a revolution in favor of government. People think of it as a counter-revolution, but that's only with a very narrow in, uh, look at what a revolution is. A revolution is a, is a real uh, overthrowing of an existing order. And they did overthrow the existing uh, order of the Articles of Confederation and the separate states and created a nation. So anyway, so uh, that's that, you know, that's my interest in the Constitution. And then from there, I got particularly interested uh, a few years ago in the presidency. So I wrote a book uh, called Mr. President, how and why the founders created a chief executive, and then another book, uh, uh, Founding Myths. Uh, and uh, not founding myths, a constitutional miss, because I had already done founding myths, which takes some of the standard stories that we think of you know, that are kind of in all the textbooks and, and goes deeper and finds out uh, what the kernel of truth is, but what the deeper truth is. So, anyway, all this has placed me uh, very much in the creation of the executive and what the executive department is and how it was created, why they created it, the problems they encountered. And uh, and needless to say, uh, I've been thinking about impeachment for a long time <laughs> since, uh, since before this particular issue.
0: What first drew your interest into this topic? Well, for
1: right now, it's that I've, you know, I've written a full book on the creation of the presidency, and and uh, in particular, like why they created a single executive, and needless to say, impeachment was part of that. And so, with all the talk about this, and you know, a lot of the talk about impeachment, you know, it comes from, you know, it's it's definitely you 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 line up your party stance first, and then you decide, to, and then you write. A, What seems appropriate to it, and I thought for the journal. Actually, my editor at Knopf said, "Hey, you ought to write something about this." I say everybody's writing about this, and he he said, "Well, why don't you write something for the Journal of the American Revolution? Because that's like not a not a partisan rag, you know. It's not like you know all one side or the other." And I said, "Okay, well, why don't I just focus on impeachment at the convention? What were the dynamics? How did the debate? You you see a lot of the quotes uh, taken, you know, just you see the quotes everywhere now. But what was?" a whole process of how they settled on impeachment uh, to have it in the first place, and then uh, uh, how to implement it structurally, and what, it, what were impeachable offenses. So that's what the article's about.
0: Talk about the creation of an executive, and why that idea was so controversial amongst the founding generation.
1: Yeah, actually, at the convention itself, uh, there might have been a, uh, at the convention itself, the idea of a national executive was not terribly controversial, but executive, I put in, like in writing, you would see me put executive and then in parentheses an S on it. What was really controversial was a single executive. I mean, most people realized that Congress was just too ineffic- inefficient to run the whole show. Uh, they really tried that, and then they had sort of boards and committees, and they said, well, we've got to focus this thing a little bit in terms of – but the executive was supposed to – they all wanted a limited executive. For instance, the very first step – when the very first suggestion was made, uh, several delegates came forward and said, yeah, I favor an executive, but not one who – Uh, Not, not uh, actually this, this one was, I figure a single executive, but not some, not if they have a power of war and peace, that's too much power. And other people, as soon as the idea of a single executive uh, was put forth, they said, uh, no, no way. That's way too much like a king. You know, so Edmund Randolph in particular, he was very upset about this, and he's the governor of the biggest state, Virginia. Roger Sherman was very upset about it, and he wanted you know, basically all power to remain in Congress. And if you have an executive, it's very much a subservient to Congress. And then uh, Franklin and, and Mason and a few others, they said, well, we'd have to have a plural executive. Or at the very least, an executive who's who's got a council around around him. Uh, so you know those were those were kind of those those were the positions, and uh, and they couldn't settle on it for a while. They they kind of argued, and they and they they didn't get anywhere. And so um, anyway, this is where impeachment comes in. A little down the line, oh, first of all, their concept from the very beginning of an executive uh, was Congress elects the executive, and they, they choose an executive who will carry out Congress's orders. So when you look at the Constitution and you look at the genesis of it, you really have to see it that in the beginning there was Congress. That is the connection with the people. That's the basis of the government. You need two other branches, one to execute the will of Congress, the other to adjudicate. And and, um, you know, those are the other branches, but it's not quite really three co-equal branches. It's always Congress's prior. That was the concept. So anyway, they settled on. OK, Congress chooses the executive, um, but they still didn't figure out uh, whether it was uh, would be single or plural. And then they discussed uh, they discussed the idea of impeachment. And pretty much kind of a, it was a preliminary discussion, but there was no real objection to impeachment in the first in the first discussion of it in the first week of June. And so they said, OK, uh, we will. They didn't say how he how it, how the executive would be impeached. And at this point, it's still plural, uh, singular or plural. Uh, but they said, OK, well, they didn't get into the details, but they have he has to be removable somehow. He slash they have to be removable somehow. So they agreed on that. That's that's now written into the draft. You know, they started with the Virginia plan and then they kept revising it, revising it, revising. it. So the the the, um, the the working draft then now we're in in, uh, in early in the first week of June is that, OK, it's in, um, the, the, the executives slash executives will be impeachable. Uh, you can remove them. Uh, in some manner to be determined later. And as soon as they made the executive removal, they reintroduced the idea of a single executive and it it overwhelmingly uh, passed muster. In other words, that was the key to unlock the the idea of a single executive is that the people through Congress would have some method of removing an executive who might think of himself as too much like a king you have to remember the historical context of this i mean they had just they just fought a war against the king i mean it it, it it was against britain and initially it wasn't against the king it was basically more against parliament but then as as the ideology developed you know went through the war it got more and more uh, particularly in the kind of the popular mind that they they were overthrowing monarchy that's what was happening And certainly like, you know, Thomas Paine, that sort of was his big shtick. And and that really, in 1776, when they actually declared independence, they were actually moving towards really that we just don't want any semblance of a monarchy. And of course, the Articles of Confederation had no executive at all. It's just all, you know, Congress was just an association of the states.
0: Who were the biggest proponents of a national executive and what were their arguments like?
1: Well, in the in the single executive, um, the really the strongest the, the people who really I see that as I said they there was little problem with having an executive. It's just singular or plural. But then once they had a single executive, the question was. How powerful should that be? What should the checks on that executive be? And, and the people, that, and so it really broke down on the people who wanted a stronger, more independent executive and one that wanted an executive more dependent on Congress. And the two people who wanted, a, 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 probably three, but two were more, more forceful, that wanted a stronger and more independent executive were Gouverneur Morris and, and, and uh, James Wilson. Of Pennsylvania and Charles Pinckney was also in that camp, and then the other people were sort of more resistant to that, and so they were constantly pushing uh, to have a uh, Congress not selecting the uh, the executive, and they were they were saying no. uh, The people at first they said well the people should, and but that didn't get very far. As a matter of fact, the idea of the popular people choosing executive never mustered more than uh, two states to vote for it. And it got defeated three times. And like George Mason said, the people can no long can no more be trusted with the selection of the president than a blind man with a trial of colors. And, uh, you know, they 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 didn't trust the people that they thought there'd, there'd be some like populist leader who might come. And as, as Governor Morris actually said, the uh, uh, the rich will find a way to play uh, to play upon the passions of the poor to oppress them. They always have. They always will. Now, he actually didn't think the president was that much of a problem. He was pushing for one. But the the idea is that they thought, you know, that they didn't really want to trust the people. And so um, they that was that was negated. So Congress was always the ones, until the very, very end of the convention, Congress was the ones that were going to determine and choose the executive. And the people who overturned that were basic, basically, it was Governor Morris was the guy who engineered the whole electoral college scheme so that Congress would not choose the executive and presumably the executive would be more independent.
0: Where did the notion of impeachment come from? Of course,
1: for presidents,
0: they're always looking
1: to the British model, uh, and and impeachment was that was that was that was in the works. I mean, you know, they, uh, or um, officials could be impeached. And that wasn't a, that wasn't a new concept at all. That was very much, you know, uh, just, uh, uh, you know, part of government officials can be impeached. They can officials can be removed from office. And then there were various sorts of processes for doing that in, under the general rubric of, of impeachment. The big thing here is, the, of course, the executive here is the, you know, is the closest thing to a king. And, and, and the, the king could never be impeached. So what was really new here was that you can have the one kingpin, shall we say, you know, the number one, he's number one, the number one guy impeached. You know, that was what was new to this concept. And uh, but as I said, it, 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 it's integral to the fact that they trusted to have a single, uh, single executive at all was that they wouldn't do it unless there was a way of removal. If they if they if there's not, a, you know, uh, they would not trust, you know, to, it, it, it was no longer once once they had a single executive, there was never, you know, the only person there was about a couple of people who started doubting impeachment right at the beginning of the, that debate. The big debate was on um, was on uh, July 20th and it started off. Uh, there's a couple of people in for uh, opposed to impeachment and more uh, in favor of it. But Governor Morris was really the swing guy because he started opposing it, and he started opposing it because remember, you asked who was in, strong, in favor of a strong executive. Well, Governor Morris, uh, who's this really? You know, uh, he's actually kind of uh, comes from practically nobility. His uh, his um, his uh, family owned the Bronx basically in New York, and then he moved to Pennsylvania. But uh, I mean, he he should. <laughs> He's a very colorful character. He had one leg and he was very flirtatious and this stuff. And he actually talked more than anybody else in the whole convention. But, but he started saying, I don't think we, you know, he wanted a strong executive. So he started saying, I don't think we should have it, you know, have impeachment that weakens him. But then other people started giving really strong arguments in particular, uh, you know, George Mason did and uh, Madison and others gave very strong arguments in favor of impeachment. And then Governor Morris, winds up changing his mind he said right there on on the d you can say first he's against it and then he says you know i'm beginning to think it's pretty you know i guess we have to have it and by the end he becomes the strongest proponent of it and he actually becomes the architect of impeachment he's the one who actually kind of tweaks it around uh to the way it is today so it's an interesting process uh that that, but nobody uh, i mean it, I wouldn't say nobody. I mean, he was the strongest voice against it, and he got converted. And there was very little resistance after that. I mean, the question was then, how? You know, how? What's the mechanism, and what are the impeachable offenses? Those became the issues.
0: How did the framers settle on Congress as the ultimate holder of impeachment power?
1: Well, the only body that could possibly impeach. Well, well, that, that's not true. Really, there's there's two. There's, you know, when you think, well, who's going to impeach the president? And there's two other branches, it's got to be one of them, right? <laughs> it's got to be Congress or the Supreme Court. Now, um, the whole idea of impeachment. Means that the people have to have some method of removing uh, an out-of-control leader, so that 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 uh, that cuts the Supreme Court out of it. The Supreme Court, you know, uh, they they can't they can't be the sole ones to do it. Now they could be involved in the process, and we'll talk about that. But it has to start with the people. The people have to be upset enough, and that is why impeachment starts. And this was always the only this this was not contested. They always say impeachment starts in the House of Representatives, because who is the House of Representatives? The House of Representatives is the voice of the people. So that's the most direct voice. and that's, As a matter of fact, in the Constitution, that's the only body that is selected by the people. The original Constitution, the Senate's not the elected by the people because remember uh, a lot of the people, <laughs> a lot of the founders didn't trust the people. The Senate's the, you know determined by the legislatures of the state, and then and then the electors, uh, uh, who chosen by the legislatures of the people of the of, of the states, uh, choose the president. And the Supreme Court is nominated. So only one half of one third of the government is, is represents the people directly. And that is the branch that has to start an impeachment process. But then here's, you know, the checks and balances, right? People, they didn't, you know, people didn't trust. They thought the popular will could, can get overboard and just do do anything, you know, willy nilly and throw out a president or do this or that. So the house of representatives has to be checked. Now, what are the checks? Uh, the first check is up with, the, with the Senate which is uh, they they spoke of the House of Representatives as kind of the democratic body and the Senate was more the aristocratic body. So the Senate would check it. So that so when you think of like who's who can check, you know, who would actually try the impeachment? Remember, impeach doesn't mean remove. Impeach means basically indict. You know, say there is sufficient worry about this. Now, somebody has to conduct the trial and they would not trust that trial to the Basically, the democratic branch, the ordinary people, you know, the, the house. So there's only two candidates left for the trial. It would be the Senate or the Supreme Court. And so, um, uh, in the first, uh, the they started with, well, this is a trial. Who does trials? Supreme Court does trials. So that's the way it was. It was the Senate, um, the uh, and the Senate, and then tried by the Supreme Court for quite a while. Um, But but then um, kind of kind of at the toward the end of the whole discussion, uh, Gouverneur Morris in particular, he says, wait a second here. Um, uh, He would rather have the Senate uh, try do the trial than the Supreme Court. And he kind of had a funny reasoning. He basically said the Supreme Court had too few people. Um, But other people have noted that the real reason that. It kind of had to be the Senate. Is when you think of impeachment, you think, well, impeachment. And this was a really important point, and it's actually a point that Governor Morris once again, he's the guy who made it. He said, impeachment is only—I mean, a conviction for impeachment is only removal from from office. You don't throw a pe- person in jail for impeachment. You just re- that—that's not the nature of the beast. Uh, it, it just removed from office because basically it's an abuse of power. You know, they have different terms and they wrote other things in a treason, bribery and high, high crimes and misdemeanors. But what's really fundamental to all of that is abuse of power. And you have to be able to, uh, to check that. Um, so so but it's only it's not it's only removal from office. Now, think what if the Supreme Court were the were the. Was the body which which conducted the trial, so they would conduct the trial to remove from office. Now, let's say after the the the, the president is removed from office, the president is subjected to a civil trial or or a criminal trial, you know. But in the, as, a, as as his capacity as a citizen, where could that trial eventually wind up in the Supreme Court? And that's that that's that's kind of like that's almost like double jeopardy or something. It's, I mean, it's just. Just not clean, <laughs> you know. And so, when you look at that kind of logic, you see, okay, well, let's let's do this, you know. The, the Senate will will conduct the trial, and then and then the Supreme Court. Or, I mean, the, the judicial system. If there's any kind of actual law that's broken, and they want to, you know, other than abuse of power, uh, then uh, then they can do that through the judicial system. So anyway, that's why it's the Senate, and they liked it too because they they wanted to make it a supermajority. Because they had several uh, places where they wanted a supermajority in the Senate. And that was, and, and, and actually in the House, too, for a veto, because they didn't want it to be just one party. You know, they, they said, but, you know, if you make it a supermajority uh, that has to have broad support. It can't just be a, a political move. So that is, basically, that's, that's, that's,
0: that's the evolution of the whole thing. They, uh, and, and, you know, it makes a lot of sense. What is the standard of impeachment? We mentioned words like treason, bribery, and high crimes and misdemeanors. So, what does that mean in a realistic sense?
1: Well, um, they struggled with it a little bit. They it started to be high crime, uh treason, and bribery, bri- and and then George Mason said, you know, that's too specific, you know, because that's a very precise, and we're, we're you know that that didn't, there's there's other things that would be so heinous that they they didn't want the president to be, you know, they didn't want to have to prove something that. that specific. So he put a catch-all in there, something, and he said, well, how about maladministration? And then, uh, and then other people objected, well, that's maladministration. That's too much of a catch-all, you know, so that's, so let's, so he said, so he said, well, let's put in high crimes and misdemeanors. And so, and then they said, well, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And, and, and the the word high, by the way, kind of, um, it, it sort of has two meanings. One, you could say very serious and the other, you could say, uh, sort of, it, a high sort of pertains to a high office, uh, you know, like a high court with, you know, versus a lower court. And, um, and they also had another phrase in there. It, uh, when George Mason put it in, it says, uh, 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 other uh, high crimes, administ- treason, bribery, or high crimes and misdemeanors against the state. And then somebody said, well, that's ambiguous. Let's do the United States. So that's the way it was. Against the United States, um, and that's that's what they settled on. But uh, but once again, Governor Morris, you've heard me mention his name a few times in this uh, in this interview. Uh, he's the guy who actually writes the Constitution. You know, he writes the final draft, and he just deleted the terms against the United States. So, um, and there's our great legal arguments about why he deleted it and what we should, what we should do with that. But basically, they 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 meant it. The, the 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 gist of the argument was this has to be darn serious. It has to be a serious abuse of power. They threw a bunch of words out there, but I really think what they meant was abuse of power, and and in particular. What they were worried about was foreign interference, because you have to. And, and, and the discussions make this clear. There's several mentions all over the place if you read Madison's notes to, to fear of for, foreign uh, influence, foreign influence on America, because it's a struggling nation, and and other nations. You know, they were they were worried that some foreign prince would come in and and sort of uh, you know seize control and so on. So there's all kinds of safeguards about that and, and, and worrying about that and hence safeguards about that. You know, for instance, uh, you know, the president has to be a uh, uh, native native born. You know, that that was the biggest one, biggest check against that. But but so and, and, and when you look at it now, we're arguing about what the founders meant by that. And the thing is, you have to realize the Constitution was not legislation, they didn't mean to, that they were going to cover every little nook and cranny because that would be very anti-Republican. That would, def, that would deny future governments from determining how, how they should run. They were looking at the overall guidelines, not specific legislation. So when you argue about those words, I think you just have to get the gist of it. They said, this has to be real serious. Uh, probably the most serious is if there's some foreign intervention involved, foreign influence, shall I say, involved. And it has to be an abuse of power because you have to realize what's the punishment? Removal from office. Because what is office? Office is the people have entrusted a person to do, to, to be their, 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 their government, their voice, uh, their operative. And if the, so the, the ultimate cause for removal is an abuse of that trust that the people have given uh, uh, to the officer. And so, in other words, an abuse of the power that the officer has by virtue of the office.
0: Do you believe that the framers created a system that practically and and realistically uh, allows us to contend with the present crisis America's facing right now on the subject of impeachment? Why or why not?
1: Well, I think I think Nixon uh, proves that it's not impractic- that It's not undoable. He he was basically impeached and removed from office. I mean, because the reason he quit was because the, the the Senate told him you're you're, you're sunk. We're not going to support you. And so rather than be the first and only one who was, who was, you know, uh, who was convicted of impeachment, uh, he says, I'd rather be the first and only one who resigns, you know, so, you know, so I think that example shows and why, what happened? The key thing there, when you look at, first of all, Johnson, Johnson, you know, Andrew Johnson, that was that came real close. And that was. They really thought that was the people who were doing the impeachment there. They thought that it was an abuse of power because he was not really carrying out the will of Congress. Um, uh, the Clinton thing was kind of kind of strange because it wasn't really about an abuse of power other than, you know, the the power that bosses have over their over their interns it wasn't quite a public trust. Uh, but the Nixon one was a question of public trust. And this one is a question of public trust. And so it proves that in the, in Nixon's case, um, there was kind of there was something came up that everybody knew about the existence of the tapes where everybody could hear that he was covering up. And so that there was the kind of, once that became out and everybody could hear it, you know, it, 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 it the partisanship broke down and the Republicans said, okay, sorry, you know, we can't, we can't go with this today. We have a different situation because, um, the partisanship is so extreme uh, that that you just don't, you don't have a kind of, there's no opportunity for kind of a central narrative. Uh, you know, some, half the people get their news one way, half the people say, get their news the other way. And so, and this is kind of, it's kind of the, 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 the good and the bad of the constitution. They were very worried that, things would be breaking down by partisanship. And that's why they have, you know, that's why they did super majorities for a lot of things. Uh, but they didn't totally, you know, they, they didn't totally, they couldn't totally prevent it. And, and, in this, and now we, we're in a situation where basically government itself is just ground to a gridlock because of partisanship the house passes something whatever the house passes the senate refuses to because they took democratic house and the senate uh senate uh, you know and in a republican senate and vice versa uh so what really we're kind of like our own worst enemies here uh the founders hoped to guard against it uh but they couldn't you know hey you know they it's it's like a, it's like a they call them the founding fathers right well, the father can't, they, they can kind of lead, the, <laughs> educate, you know, their kids and kind of turn them in the right direction, but you can't make it, the kids do, you know, do exactly what you want. And that's what they, they I thought, I, I think the, the framework is good. I think it's a great framework and, and it's up to us to, to use it.
0: Ray Raphael, thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. I love to talk impeachment. I love to talk uh, the powers of Congress. I love to talk about our beautiful Constitution and the balance of powers. And it's, it's a pleasure. And uh, we are all blessed to live in a in a nation that does have a Constitution. And uh, which actually I should mention right now, I guess, if I hadn't before, but uh, I did do an annotation of the Constitution, recent one. It's uh, for Viking, and it's out there. It's called the U.S. Constitution. Uh, explained clause by clause for every American today. So anyway, if, uh, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, the, the point of that was actually to, uh, my editor said, you know, you know how to write for re- regular people that's not too dry. So basically, I, I put the Constitution both in the in the historical context and then into the contemporary modern context uh, without being just kind of textbook dry and, and without having a, an axe to grind. So, I mean, there's, 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 there's no politics in that. So, um, And they're, they're really, I mean, the founders, I just have to say, the founders, you know, knew there would be politics. They knew there would be partisanship. And they just did their darndest to try to to try to minimize it. Unfortunately, uh, they can't do all the work themselves. Some of it's up to us.
0: The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia.